0: This morning, uh, I want to preach from Luke chapter 15. Um, over January, um, I've asked a few people to preach, and no one's preaching last week, but the next two Sundays in January, I've asked a couple of people to preach on their favorite or uh, a, a special scripture to their hearts. And uh, this morning, I want to share on Luke 15. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible, a very well known passage, but um, I want to share from it, especially, um, I suppose. Challenged or encouraged by this, this passage uh, in the last couple of weeks, in, in light of what's been happening, and so let's read it together. Luke chapter fifteen. I think the team even had the verses on the screen. They've done such a great job. Thanks, Tom and the team. Could we just give them a hand? For setting up. down here for the first Setting up early this morning. Um, fantastic job, guys. Luke fifteen, verse eleven. Uh, this is Jesus. Um, speaking to the Pharisees and speaking to some religious leaders of the day try to explain to them why he associates with sinners and why he associates and, and, and spends time with these people that maybe um, will, will look down upon in society and so he told three parables and this is the third one, the first two were uh, a story about a lost sheep and the second uh, the first was a lost sheep the second was a lost coin and this third one is about a lost son so let's read it together and see what we might learn. Luke 11, Luke fifteen eleven. He also said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to him. Not many days later, the youngest son gathered together all that he had and travelled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your soul. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me, one, make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fat calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his oldest son was in the field, and as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants. They mustn't have been Baptists. So, but he oh, I've lost my space now. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. "'Your brother is here,' he told him, "'and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf "'because he has him back safe and sound." "'Then he became angry and didn't want to go in, "'so his father came out and pleaded with him. "'But he replied to his father, "'Look, I've been slaving many years for you, "'and I've never disobeyed your orders, "'that you never gave me a goat "'so that I could celebrate with my friends. "'But when this son of yours came,' He was devoured your assets with prostitutes. You slaughtered the fat calf for him. Son, he said to me, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Lord Jesus, would you help us to understand your word this morning? Holy Spirit, would you help us to hear your voice and to respond accordingly? We love you, we honour you. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the last couple of weeks, I've heard um, a lot of stories, as I'm sure you have as well, um, in the media, on social media, in person as well. A lot of stories of people's devastation, a lot of stories of people's um, experience with what's been going on. And One of the things that has really struck me has been People's overwhelming sense of loss, especially when property is lost, when property is burnt. I I've spoken to a few people at the relief centre over the weeks, and um, people talking about their experience of their house burning down, or their shed burning down, or uh, livestock that they've had to put down. Uh, even people close to us in our street have lost um, houses in in Buchan. and you know, just their overwhelming sense of loss and grief. At property that has been damaged and it got me thinking about why is this so why are people so attached to a a house so attached to and i'm the same i'm not saying that they're they're bad people for doing that i'm exactly the same if if it was me i'd be suffering the same sort of grief if not more i'd imagine why are people so attached to a, a place a house and I think one of the reasons is, for, for so many people, a, a house symbolises and represents a home. It's more than just a door and windows and walls and roof. It symbolises something very dear to their heart. It symbolises their place of refuge, their place of security, their place of home, just where they belong, where they belong. And, and this morning I want, to, I want to share from this scripture this sense of we're all looking for a home. We're all looking for the sense of home, the sense of refuge, the sense of belonging, the sense of security, a sense of family, a sense of rest. You know, when you're at home, you can just be yourself. Don't have to impress anyone. you never think about impressing anyone at home. Uh, you just let your hair down, wear what you want, eat what you want. I'm a big fan of wee for lunch. You know, it's just home is comfortable home, you can do what you want. And I think people are looking for that sense of home, the sense of where they can just be themselves, where they can just feel like they belong, where they've got a place where they uh, can be, uh, where they're not judged, where they're accepted. Here we have in this story a father who has two sons at home, two sons at home. And no doubt they felt pretty comfortable. And it's it's pretty evident they felt so comfortable because of the youngest son comment to his father. Dad, I know you love me. I know this is just going gangbusters here, but uh, I'd like to have my share of the estate. I'd love to, when you die, you're going to give me half of what you belong to rather than waiting that long, uh, because who knows when that will happen, just give it to me now and uh, all be sweet. And so the father gives a state to, to both the sons divides it up and gives it uh, and so there's that sense that these boys feel very comfortable at home and if you've got a, a good relationship with your parents you probably know what that's like you can just call them or talk to them and just ask them anything even maybe not this this might be a, a little bit too far but you can just ask about anything of them and they'll probably say yeah sure I know now I'm a father that sort of sense of one of my boys comes up and asks me something it's just my initial response is just whatever you want you want to build a thing that's impossible with your Lego as tall as the as t- tall than the house let's do it we'll try you want to fly your indoor drone outside let's do it it's the last thing that the drone will ever do but we'll do it we did all right uh, so two sons at home, and one son um, goes out. One son stays home. So let's have a little look at this. And in Luke 15, verse 13, it tells us that uh, after the, the, boy, the younger boy got his inheritance, it says he gathered um, together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate and forged living. So I think... In this moment, he feels like he's finally free. You know that moment when you leave home for the first time, you're under your parents' roof and you just get to move out, you get your license maybe, or you get your first job, and it's like, I'm free! And then you realize when you move out that freedom comes with washing, dishes, bills, every day. Like it's relentless. It's... Freedom is not what you thought it was. Uh, when you turn 18, you quickly realize, oh, I had a good. At home I just didn't realize how good I had it until I was free and I think when we run from our Creator when we run from God initially it, it might feel like it's freedom like we can do whatever we want I can live I can be my own king and I can do whatever we want until we realize it's not all it's shaped up to me freedom is not actually what it, what it looks like it's like sort of like skydiving without a parachute it might feel free for a moment until you realise what's coming. <laughs> I've never done it. <laughs> like parachute up um, with the parish or without. Um, don't plan on it. Verse 15, it says... Uh, so he's gone out to a fool, uh, in, and started living foolishly and then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country. He sent him to, into his field to feed his pigs. And that word, work for, um, could be better um, translated maybe attached or, or um, sort of adhered to, so it's this sense of glue or attachment or um, bound together, cleaved to, joining yourself to. So... It, It tells us that when we leave God, when we leave the Father, when we detach ourselves from the Creator, we attach ourselves to something else. No one is truly free in the sense that they're unattached to anything. You'll always be attached to something. Whether you're attached to God or whether you're attached to something else, you'll always be attached to someone or something. Something will have your heart. Something will have your sense of purpose and direction in life. Something will. And so there's never that sense of freedom like we were led to believe. Whenever we're not attached or joined to God, we'll join ourselves to someone or something else. And the next verse in verse 16 says, He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. And to me this speaks of that we'll, we'll always be left wanting, just like this young boy was... He's just, his hunger wasn't satisfied. And whenever we run and try to get our fill from something other than God, it will never satisfy the way we were made for. We cannot find the satisfaction we desire anywhere but in God's presence and in community with him. We were made to be filled with his goodness, with his grace. And the oldest son at this moment is experiencing the same thing. You know, when we read this story, we might think, oh, just one lost son. But I think there's two lost sons in this story. There's two lost sons in this story. There's one lost son that's very obviously gone off and got lost. But there's another son that's lost, but he's lost at home. And he states that he's bound to this legalistic relationship with his father all this time. You notice his language. He says, I've been slaving for you. Like he's a slave at home. And we were never called to be slaves in a relationship with God. The oldest son's lostness is described when the youngest son comes home in verses 29 and 30. It says, look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. So he was in the right place. He was close, but he wasn't home. He wasn't where he should be, he was lost. And he was thinking that somehow his goodness, his rule keeping, his work was what would make his dad happy, his slaving. And I think this is a great lie of the enemy, that those of us that are in church, that come to church, can feel exactly the same way. We can be here, we can be in the right place, but still feel we're not home. Still be lost. Because we've got this distorted view of who God is. Completely missing the point of the Father's love. So we've got these two lost sons. And what I want to do is just observe three things that I think the father demonstrates his home is like for all who come. Through what he does and what he says. And the first thing I think that home has in this sense from in the father's home is that home has expectations. Home has expectation. You know when you're at home and the the doorbell rings and you're not expecting anyone to come around? Has that ever happened to you and you just think, oh, my gosh, I better put some clothes on, I better um, put the washing away, do the dishes, clean the walls, you know, open the curtains, pretend like I've been up for the last, you know, 6 p.m., like pretend like I've been up all day. You know when people turn up unexpectedly, you're sort of scrambling to... um, to get ready, and I suppose you can come in and... And, or you have the expected visitor, and when you have the expected visitor, you make, um, you make room for them, you, you sort of make provision for them. You're expecting them to come in, and so you, you make sure you're at home, you make sure you dress properly, you make sure there's maybe some food or some water or something to drink. You make sure that there's a place for them to sit, you're expecting them, and so um, you're ready for them to come in. I wonder, as a church and as as Christians, if we're living with that sense of expectation, or do we get surprised when outsiders come in? Are we expecting them? You know, right at the start of Luke chapter 15, um, it talks about that the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining that Jesus... Um, it says this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And that word welcomes sinners is it's more than just like if, a, if someone turns up, he'll say welcome in. But it's more of a, um, a proactive word. It's this looking for, expecting, longing for, um, waiting for. It's not a passive word in that sense. It's an active word. And we see it demonstrated in the three parables that... The father, Jesus describes himself and his love towards people in a very active way. In going out, the shepherd who goes out and looks for the lost sheep. It's not like the shepherd just waits at home and goes, Oh, if he comes home, then I'll, I'll, I'll welcome him in. He goes out. Or the lost coin. Then the woman, she turns her house upside down looking for the coin. She's not just hoping, Oh, one day it'll turn up. One day I'll find that coin. And the, the father, he's going out. It, the the story makes us, or leads us to believe that the father is not just sitting on his couch inside at home, but rather he's outside, maybe at the gate, maybe down the road, every day waiting, expecting his son to come in. It's not a surprise when his son comes home to the father, because he's been expecting him. It says in verse 20 that while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. So imagine this picture, the father going out to look day after day, day after day. Maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day. Three weeks later, four weeks later, maybe today's the day. And surely the people that are living, the people that work with this man and the people that are in his family are saying to him, you know, maybe you should just like not get your expectations so high. Maybe he's not coming back. Maybe this is it for good. No, no, surely he's... He's coming back. I'm expecting him to. I'm expecting him to. But I mean, it's been four weeks and every day you go out and every day you have the same heartbreak. You get the same disappointment that he didn't come in. How many days would this have gone by? Don't get your hopes up. And then it says his father saw him. His father saw him. The father notices... His son from a long way off. He's been expecting him and he notices his son. The father waits and he sees. He seeks and he finds. And the father looks and waits for us. Maybe when we're wayward in our walk with him, he's looking, he's expecting and he's waiting. And he sees us. And just like a little kid wants so much for their parents to see him or see her in every aspect of their life, we have that same um, desire and essence in our life, to be noticed, to be seen. And the father sees us. He notices us. He sees everything we do. And he loves us just as we are. And the oldest son. The father extends the same grace to the oldest son. Because the older son gets um, agitated or angry when the younger son comes home. And what does it say that the father does? The father just gets angry at home and says, Oh, well, he should just come in. He knows better. No, it says that the father um, came out and pleaded with him. Verse 28, his father came out and pleaded him with him. So not only is the father chasing down the younger son, but the father is chasing down the older son as well. He's coming out to the wayward and to that which is just lost at home. He wasn't angry with his oldest son. He wasn't telling his oldest son, well, you've been here all the time and you should know better. But rather he comes out and extends the same sort of expectation that you would come home. Come in. This party. You're welcome to. The invitation is there. He doesn't just wait for the oldest son to learn his lesson. I think sometimes us in church feel like that's probably how God would treat us. he would just wait for us just to learn our lesson by ourselves. He's not going to extend the same grace to us as He would, though, for someone who's never known Him or someone who's really walked away from Him. But the Father extends the same grace to us. You don't need to go get lost to be found. You are here. So come on in. Come on home. God's been expecting you. The Father has been expecting you. So we see that home has expectation. The second thing... I notice in this story is that home has provision, home has provision. You know, I know of adults that still have a room at their parents' house. Maybe these adults are grown up, maybe they're 18, maybe they're 28, maybe they're 38, maybe they're married and got their own kids. Um, But they still have their room, they still have their place at their parents' house. And um, you know, parents are wonderful things uh, a lot of the time and They always have, like my parents are like this, they have provision for me, for my family, for for us kids, for any time we feel like coming over for a meal, mum will make provision. She'll make something for us and and make sure that, you know, that we know that we're welcome to, to come around. Every time that we go to my parents' house or any time that you go to your own house, you know that there's provision for you. In the sense of there's enough beds in the house. There's enough seats, generally, around the table. Hopefully there's enough food as well. When we go home, we don't go, oh, I wonder if there's going to be a bed for me tonight. I wonder if there'll be enough seats at the table for me tonight. There's provision for that. There's provision for that. We see this provision demonstrated in this story by uh, the fattened calf that the father has prepared for this younger son. Now the fattened calf is not something that the father can just go, all right, oh, I can see him down the road. quickly, fatten the calf up for me. Like, I'm not a farmer, but I know this much about fattening calves is it takes more than a couple of hours. I think it takes even more than a couple of days or a couple of weeks. I think it takes, I don't know, months, maybe years. Maybe decades? No, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how old the cars, the, the cars get. But anyway, the dad's been waiting for this moment. The dad's been making provision for this moment. He hasn't just, he hasn't caught him by surprise. It hasn't caught him off guard. So like, oh quick, let's, you know, get something together and make this work. Make it feel like we've been waiting for it. Cause we didn't actually expect him to come home. So we didn't make any provision. So with expectation comes provision with expectation comes provision and there is provision for you in the father's house provision for you um, through Jesus on the cross you know in Romans 5 8 it says while we were still sinners Christ died for us while we we're still sinners think about that God is making provision for us while we are far off from him like this father has been fattening the calf God has been making provision for us even though we have no, there's no sign of us returning to him. There's no sign of us turning in repentance towards him. The Father makes provision for us. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. There is provision before repentance. Provision before heart change or behavior change. Provision before anyone turns up. Expectation And provision the third thing i see in this story about what home has is that home has grace home has an abundance of grace one of the many phone calls one of the many phone calls i've had over the last couple of weeks in regards to these fires um someone called up i'm not sure exactly i can't remember the point of their phone call but all i remember from their phone call was um, this lady telling me down the phone that fire is the judgment of God, and the reason that there's fire is because people need to repent. And you know, it caught me a little bit off guard because I've heard of these people, but I didn't think they actually were like that. But this lady was, you know, making sure I knew that this was why the state was burning. And of course, that's not what we believe here. There is grace. There is grace and there is grace in this story the father doesn't turn to the younger son when he comes home and says well have i got some things for you to do have i got some chores for you to make up all this lost time and all the the money you've spent and all the things that you've done wrong you know there's there's a lot that you have to make up and there's a lot of judgment that i'm going to pour down on you no instead there's a there's a, an abundance of grace there's an abundance of grace in verse 17 and 19, it talks about this son's sort of beginning of change of heart. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers had more than enough food? I'll go back. I'll, I'll make a speech. I'll go back to my father and, and, and try to make it right. Firstly, you notice that what, what initiates the son's uh, repentance was remembering the goodness of his father. It's like, my father has hired servants that are treated better than me. Like, he's a good guy. Like, he treats people well. He is a good father. His goodness has demonstrated as well that the, the younger son even contemplates returning to him. If he knew his father was uh, going to beat him or, or judge him or um, do anything um, harsh towards him, he, he wouldn't be tempted to return. But instead, there's some sort of grace or some sort of love or some sort of goodness in the father that initiates the the younger son's response to him. There's a verse, I can't think of where it is currently, but it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. It's the goodness that leads people to repentance. There's grace. It's never too easy to admit that you're wrong, to turn around and, and think about coming back. It's a big deal. It's a big deal for this son. It's a big deal for any of us that have repented in any form of our life in any area of our life, maybe towards someone else or towards God. It's always a big deal. It's never easy to do. But what helps us in our repentance towards God is understanding that there's grace with repentance. That God meets our repentance with grace, with goodness, with love. Notice also here that says, when he he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, another way that, that might be translated is he came to himself. Sin always breaks our relationship with God. It breaks our relationship with the Father, but it also breaks our relationship with ourselves. And and part of repentance, a part of coming back to God and seeing the grace of God is, is coming back to ourselves. We can't know ourselves properly apart from God because he is the one who made us. If we're running from the one who made us, then we'll miss who we are. We were made by God and the image of God. And so repentance will turn us back to ourselves and to who we really are and back to God. So this son comes to himself, he remembers the goodness of God, and then he um, begins to think about coming home and preparing his speech. And one of the things and phrases he uses in his speech is, I'm no longer worthy to be called his son. And again, sin will always distort our view of God in some way, shape or form. And for this younger son, it distorted it in the sense that sonship was something that he earned. Sonship was something that he was somehow worthy of to begin with. his um, sonship doesn't come from worthiness it comes from being born like it's pretty simple isn't it and so there's nothing that he did or, or could do to change his sonship in that sense sonship is not about worthiness and our sense of belonging our sense of being a son or daughter of god does not come from us being worthy enough but rather us turning and accepting that he has made provision for us. He's accepted us already. And then the son heads home thinking about this speech, thinking about what he's going to say to his father. And you can just imagine this scene that the son comes and he begins to say, you know, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And, and, and his dad's just running at him. He's thinking, oh, no, this is not going well. I'm like, this is going to end badly. Well, I, I, should have, I should have stayed with the pigs. But his father runs to embrace him. Quick, cuts, like if you read the story, um, you see the son's speech is longer than what he gets out. And it's like his father cuts him off and it's like, come on, come in, let's celebrate. Bring the fat calf, bring the best robe, put the ring on his finger, bring the sandals through his feet. We're going to celebrate. This son is dead, but he's alive. And what a story and what a picture of grace that this son, in the filth of his life, has had a moment of repentance. And in that moment of repentance, the Father jumps on him with all the love and all the grace and all the goodness he can fathom. What a picture. And to us, that's this huge encouragement that in no matter what area or moment of our life, a moment of repentance will be met with the grace and the goodness of God, with the love of the Father. home is full of grace there's no need for paying back because that provision has already been made on the cross and I think for us we may have heard this story and we may feel like well that's great Brad but I'm at home I know that I'm a son or a daughter of God and that's great it's a good evangelistic message but I think there's something to be learned for us as a church in this parable as well And that's how we posture ourselves in in readiness and preparedness for those that might come in, in the same way the Father did. And we can have these three same things in our attitude and in the way we operate as a church and the way we operate as a church family, is that we can be a church and a home that is expected. that we are not surprised or caught off guard when someone wants to come in or someone wants to find a, uh, or have a moment of repentance. That's not like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. I know we talk about it a lot, but to be honest, I didn't really expect it would ever happen. But rather we're out there day after day looking for, waiting for, anticipating, expecting that the lost might come home. I wonder how we go with our prayer life, with our, um, our own attitude and, and view of this. That do we live with an expectation that the lost are coming home? I pray that we do, and I pray that this year in 2020 we do. We live with this sense of expectation that we lost to the coming home. Do we live with a sense of provision? Do we operate with a sense of provision? That there is a, a seat at the table, that there is a bed in the house. There is provision for that person that's not yet here to be here. That we have made all the provision that we could ever need provisions in our ministries provisions in our small groups provisions dare I say even in the where and how we sit I mean this is a great shake up here but in our normal building I know we have our seat and we love where we sit and we love the people we sit with but do we think about those that come in for the first time and how difficult it is for those that come in for the first time to, to walk into an auditorium that is filled at the back and a few empty seats at the front and the the trepidation that they would have to go through to walk down a full auditorium to sit in the front row. Do we think about that? I do. I think, man, that is a tough thing to ask, that those that come for the first time would have to struggle to find a car park and struggle to find a seat. I think we can do so much better as a church to make provision for those that are coming in, to maybe take the, the more inconvenient car park and the more inconvenient seat so that we can make provision and expect that there's a place for you here and we're doing all we can to to be ready for you and to make provision for you. In our small groups, are we living with the same provision? There's, there's, I know that we're full. I know it seems like we can't take any more in, but we've just got to make provision. There's someone that needs to be here that's not yet here. We need provision and we need grace. We need to live with this sense of grace that... As people walk in, as people come in to fellowship, that they are accepted before they get their speech out, before they get their life back together, before they've changed their clothes, before they've changed the way they've lived, that they are accepted and welcomed as soon as they walk in. That we offer grace and an abundance of it, and an embarrassing amount of grace. That we would bring the best road for someone who's just been living with peace. It's like, oh, have a shower first. You might dirty the best robe. Nah, just chuck it on you. There's enough grace to go around. I pray that that's our story as a church this year, that we would live with expectation, that we would live with provision, and that we would live with grace.